political humor needs, go to timstesseract.com. Read fiction about the future of San Francisco after the water wars of 2121 in Jane 6. Ask a Jedi for important life hacks. Eat flesh with the bare exoskeleton Contessa. And check your horror horoscope on Horoscopia. Updated every three parsecs. Timstesseract.com Timstesseract.com So you want to be a comic? It's not as easy as we make it look. But that's because Mutiny Radio has eight hours a week of open mic stage time for all your comedy workout needs. Strain those improv muscles every Sunday from four to six at Getting Sketchy with David Stolowitz. Press out those new jokes every Monday, 6 to 8, on Joke Workshop with four-minute sets and four-minute critiques from everyone. Get positive by host Pam Benjamin. Pump those dick jokes every Thursday, 7 to 9, with True Hustle Thursdays. Hashtag THC. That's hashtag THC. You want more open mics? Fridays, 6 to 8. Happy hour with guest host and George D. Smith. Pew, pew, pew. Four open mics every week at Mutiny Radio, brother. work and take a seat at Asiento, a great place to meet friends, have delicious tapas and drinks, and relax with your neighbors. Located at Bryant 21st Street in the Deep Mission, Kitty Corner Block from Mutiny Radio. Come and get a drink during the comedy festival and enjoy happy hour pricing all night long with your festival ticket. A great neighborhood bar. Come take a seat at Asiento. The Roxy Theater is San Francisco's favorite nonprofit art house cinema, bringing you the best, coolest, weirdest, most thought provoking movies of the past, present, and future. Hands down, there is no better way to get your film fix than at this legendary historic theater. Visit www.roxy.com. That's www.roxie.com today for showtimes and tickets. Everybody should listen to Mutiny Radio at mutinyradio.fm. It's a great place to listen to crazy things. China or even Russia or any totalitarian country. Maybe I could understand 
some of these illegal injunctions. Maybe I could understand the denial of certain basic First Amendment privileges because they haven't committed themselves to that over there. But somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly. Somewhere I read of the freedom of speech. Somewhere I read of the freedom of press. Somewhere I read that the greatness of America is the right to protest far right. So just as I say we aren't going to let any dogs or water hoses turn us around, we aren't going to let any injunction turn us around. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know the night that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. It's Labor and Love. We're reviewing the events of April 4th, 1968. Dan Lather reporting for CBS News from New York. The Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. was shot to death by an assassin late today as he stood on a balcony in Memphis, Tennessee. Dr. King had planned to lead another civil rights march in Memphis next Monday. We got the latest on the story now from Russ Hodge, news director of WREC-TV. Martin Luther King Jr. assassinated 1968, 50 years ago um, this week. That was his final speech as... uh, Everyone knows uh, he was in Memphis, Tennessee with a, for a labor issue. And uh, the name of this show is Labor and Love. Welcome. It's Saturday morning. Sort of a misty day now, although it seems like the mist is burning off. Coming at you from... Uh, San Francisco from 
San Francisco's Mission District. And, uh, nice to have you. Let's see what we got. Martin Luther King. We'll have more on Martin Luther King a little later. Uh, people get together and decide which things that King did were uh, most influential. In the meantime, here's uh, Linda Tillery. All right.
Welcome everybody to uh, Labor and Love, and uh, this is the B, aka Bill Morgan, the show where we tell you how it is. Labor and Love Radio, where the labor meets the road. 
or we tell you one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table that is, where you work, you're on the menu. And never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. <clears throat> we kicked off the show, to use a uh, football expression, with the very end of Martin Luther King's mountaintop speech, a speech he gave on April 4th, 1968, a few hours before he was gunned down in Memphis. Almost inevitably, as part of a government-based conspiracy to kill him. One of those things where it all goes up in smoke, you know, like uh, the Kennedy assassination or the Bobby Kennedy assassination. Very strong interests want us to believe one thing or another. Very strong interests want us to believe that the crazy segregationist named James Earl Ray all by himself murdered Martin Luther King. Not true. I would ask you to look into the writings of Martin Luther King's son, Martin Luther King Jr., about the plot to kill his father. After that, Linda Tillery, with her stirring, upbeat blues, Don't Let Nobody Turn You Around, the Cultural Heritage Choir. And then, De Colores, sung by children from the school of Santa Isabel in East Los Angeles. A song forever to be associated with the United Farm Workers campaign to bring justice to the fields of California under the leadership of Cesar Chavez and Dolores Huerta and Larry Itliong and Philip Veracruz, De Colores. Good morning, everybody. Good to be here. Good to have you listening in. We didn't have a show last week, so we did miss the celebration of Cesar Chavez Day. I had the good luck to go over to uh, Marin Point Race Station, to be exact, to a, a celebration of Cesar Chavez Day. Music by a couple of regulars on this show, Charlie Morgan One and Francisco Herrera, singing about uh, Cesar Chavez. There's one by Charlie Test to Blues where he mentions Cesar Chavez. The other day I was in the mood for some energy in the form of food and greeting the owner as I entered the store, I didn't realize what I was in for. Test tube food. <laughs> 
As I walked down the aisle from the shelves, the packages all tried to sell themselves. I'm ten cents off. Buy me, you. I got pink and purple hues. Howard Hughes. Test tube blues. You'll like me, honey, said some salad oil. The figure of my bottle will never spoil. And on my back, there's an offer label for a CD player for your kitchen table. Sorry, sister. You look a little bit too oil slicky for me. This food's fun, it'll get your girls. And the coupon gets your flag that unfurls to the beat of the Spangled Banner song. You better try it now, the offer won't last long. Homeland Security food, you eat it, and it does surveillance inside you the rest of your life. I found out where the produce were, and I bebopped on over there. I said they chemical rated this food with bombs like the plants and the people in Vietnam. Agent Oranges. I held a tomato in my hand. It was red but hard, you understand. Tomato, I said, this ain't your natural beauty. You're a drugged up money making cutie. Just a pretty face. The folks at Drea love only wealth, they don't give a damn about our health. Shut up and package without love. Tomato, you weren't grown up, you were shoved. Your upbringing's gonna bring me down. Still standing in the produce section of a supermarket, surrounded by people uh, speaking to a tomato. By eating you, I'm gonna bum trip, kid. You done more drugs than I ever did. We're victims of a capitalistic raid, and the folks that picked you were underpaid. Viva Cesar Chavez! The cash register ring awakened me, and it brought me out of my fantasy. And I went and I spoke to the counter cat, and I told him just where I was at. Here and now. Wow. Wow. I said, Lord knows I got a rumbling gut and my stomach thinks my throat's been cut. But I ain't about to have my insides glued by this poison I call test tube food. You eat it. Wrong. Wrong. Ra, ra, ra. Yeah, there's plenty of things here you want me to swallow, but my body and soul would still be hollow. Besides, I sing off-key madrigals if I ate a food with 17 syllables. Easier to swallow a scrabble board. Methyl oxide, potassium methyl, was that their regular ethyl? There's Panama red and there's methyl red, and one will leave you tired and the other one dead, take your pick. Now through corporate proclivities, some food has radioactivity.
glowing proof that yours can be a radiant nuclear family. You don't even have to cook it either. You just open the can on the counter and it has a meltdown. So I went to a place where the food was fast serving clone cows raised on pasture land rainforest once. I think I'd rather have some slow food for lunch. But not a corporate burger, it could have come from a septic company merger and it ain't no fun to eat what's in between those buns. Now I ain't quite ready to live just on the rays of the sun like I know some Indian yogis have done. But you are what you eat and how strange you see to go by the name of MSG. up there despite all the prognostications that he's going to fall any minute or this is a dangerous moment for our president he's still there who uses all his powers to do evil but in the end is left so all alone that man who will is a finger's cheese. Oh, and who lies with every breath? Who passionately hates him lie and likewise do fear him. Oh, I do pity the poem of grace. Spin in vain Who's a heaven Is just like Our sides And whose tears Are like the rain Woman he eats But he is not A satisfied
Okay, Stevie Wonder, of course, with uh, he's Mr. Know-It-All, and we do have a president who's a Mr. Know-It-All. Anytime he gets criticized, like if someone says he's unsteady, then the next day or the next few hours he gets up and says, I'm known as one of the steadiest people I know. Everyone around me says I'm steady. If it's said that he's erratic, <clears throat> he says, no, I'm not erratic. I like to listen to all different opinions and decide for myself. And he gets criticized for his vocabulary. He says, well, I know words. I know words. We've got words. And of course, the attitude is we can buy and sell it. I think what we're realizing as a people, to our horror, 
is that a lot of the the mores of of government in the United States are a matter of agreements between ruling class people and people who represent them. Just agreements kind of uh, to be civil or to appear civil while carrying out the most savage um, programs. And uh, Mr. Trump is not civil. He's not even civil. When he was elected, I said, now we're going to find out if we're decent, if we are decent people. Okay, well, we're not. We're turning away worthy people at our borders, people who have always provided the energy that drives the terrible engine of capitalism. We're doing, we're shooting young men down on the street, young men of all ethnicities. Young black men are especially liable to get killed on the street by police. So far, we're not a decent country. The Republican Party has given up. They have a successful candidate, so they're going to back him. Now he's vouching for Scott Pruitt. Scott Pruitt, who even on the surface of it is a total bureaucratic sleazebag. And he's putting him in charge of our natural resources? No. No, we're not a... We're not a decent people at this point. Okay, I want to play about a report on the teachers' union. First, we had uh, West Virginia with a resounding victory, sort of exposing their state legislatures for the thieves that they are. They rob money from children. Come on. Teachers work with children. They rob money from children cut it out of their budget and then brag about how they've saved money because they're assuming that teachers will pick up the slack and by and large we do. Teachers spend lots of -of out-of-pocket money on their classes. Of course you do that. It makes your job easier. If you can buy something that will help you with your work, make your job easier. State legislatures have counted on that, and now they're being held accountable. In West Virginia, and now in Oklahoma. This is a show called Today Explain. Let's listen to this. A couple of weeks ago, we told you about a teacher's strike in West Virginia. We are united! We are united! 
It worked. Teachers there ended up with a 5% pay raise. But West Virginia was only the beginning. Teachers are talking about walking out in Arizona, they've already taken it to the streets in Kentucky, and there are walkouts all over Oklahoma. They even got a theme song. Right now, it's pretty intense in Oklahoma. Schools across the state are shut down again today. The teachers say they are not backing down. For one, teachers there are asking they're more ambitious than what West Virginia teachers ask for. They want not only a pay raise for themselves and other state employees, but they actually want the state to restore funding to public education that has been cut and cut and cut in the past 10 years. Alexia Fernandez-Campbell writes about economic policy at Vox. Teachers there have not gotten a raise from the state in 10 years. And adjusted for inflation, that means they're actually getting paid less than they were. Um, so more of them are working extra jobs. They're work driving Uber. They're working at, you know, at the clothing store at Walmart. And above that, like they, their class sizes have been growing um, as the state has been cutting the budget for education. And it really got like the turning point was not only were West Virginia teachers striking around the same time, the state said, not only are you not going to get a raise next year, but we're actually going to cut education again. And that was what kind of triggered everyone, all the teachers there. Do you know how much these teachers are getting paid? You said they haven't gotten a raise in 10 years, but do we have any idea what the median, median yeah, salary so is or anything like that? Yeah, so the median salary in 2016 was about 45000 Okay. And um, that's actually the r ranks Oklahoma at the way bottom at 49 Okay. out of all the states pay their pay has been going down when you adjust it for inflation. There's just no way around it. They're being docked pay every, every Yeah, year. because of, you know, it doesn't keep up with the cost of living. And beyond having to work a second job at Walmart when you're a teacher, how do things look for teachers in Oklahoma in the classroom? I mean, are the, are the schools well-funded and the teachers are just poorly paid? No, they're both, like, the schools are poorly funded and the teachers are poorly paid. Oklahoma had one of the, some of the biggest cuts to spending uh, per student in the past 10 years. And that still hasn't gotten back to pre-recession level. So you, the way it plays out is like teachers have been saying, yeah, we don't even keep the lights on in the hallways at school to save money. Our students have to wear coats in the classroom because we're not allowed to put the heat more than 57 degrees. Their textbooks, I got two pictures of, from teachers that they sent me of the textbooks their students use. For, what, for one, they don't even have their own textbooks. They can't take their textbooks home. That's not even the biggest problem. They are so old. They're like 20 years old. 20 years old. That's older than probably most of your students. Yes. Well, obviously older than all my students. I think they're missing pages. They don't have covers. And there's such a shortage of teachers in Oklahoma, for example, yeah. that 20% of the schools are, are on four-day weeks. Teachers in the Oklahoma City schools, about a quarter of them left last year. So their class sizes are getting bigger. So teachers are not only having to teach more students and making less money, so they, they want to raise. So this is a statewide movement. What has the governor of Oklahoma said? Yeah, so teachers are really upset with her right now because even though she signed a pay raise last week, it was going to be 6000 which teachers think is not enough um, for what they want. Now she was on CBS just on Tuesday saying... Teachers want more, but it's kind of like having a teenage kid that wants a better car. And that really, nice. really pissed off teachers. <laughs> and now everyone's really upset at the governor. They're upset at some lawmakers who just refuse to pass anything because they think that the 6000 pay raise that they 
passed last week is, is enough and they should be happy. If anything, it's not helping because now they're even more motivated to go and keep banging on, on legislators' doors, which is what they're doing. In Oklahoma, thousands of teachers back at the state capitol now demanding that lawmakers listen to their pleas for higher salaries and more funding for the most basic classroom supplies. So what are, like, what are teachers getting paid? And the, the raise was 6000 that that they were offered? It was going to be 6000 which is quite a bit. But if you think about just the cost of living, like they haven't gotten a raise in 10 years, so that barely even covers like the cost of living. Yeah. And another is that healthcare costs have been going up and states have been wanting to pay less of the premiums. So that, that's another combination. And it doesn't include, they want it stacked up for the next three years. That's like a one-time teacher pay raise. It does not include other state employees. Or maybe it, if it does, it's like a very small percentage of what they had asked for. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's just nothing. It's like a fraction, a quarter of what they actually wanted. Hmm. And now they're walking out. And now they're like, sorry, that's not enough. We're not going to thank you. We want you to really fund public education. So are principals and superintendents on board with this and supporting teachers? Or is there consternation there just even within school districts in the state? Well, there's so many school districts in Oklahoma. Just for comparison, in West Virginia, there are 50. In Oklahoma, there are 550. So it's a lot harder to get a consensus. So not, not every single school district is on board and it tends to be broken along like rural versus urban, a lot of like the okay. big, the bigger school districts, the ones that serve about 75% of the students, they were all like, we're shutting down Monday. And some of them were going to try to reopen Tuesday, but teachers have been calling in sick. Hmm. Um, and so they had to shut down at this point. I think about half of the school districts are closed and that's, you know, most students are now not in school. Schools that have been trying to reopen haven't been able to because of, uh, because teachers have been calling in sick. Teachers are calling in sick on like en masse in some sort of organized fashion? Yeah, like they're actually saying, okay, you, if your school district isn't shutting down, you have to call in sick, use a personal day. And if, I don't know what percentage is, but if a certain percentage of teachers call in sick, they have to shut down the school. And so that's what's been happening. My name is Samantha Freeman, and I am a kindergarten teacher for Oklahoma City Public Schools. This is my fourth year there. I make about $34,000 a year gross. I take home just a little bit over $2,000 a month. I'm a single parent and I have two children who are still at home. I cannot afford to put my children on my insurance. Um, The insurance I have to add um, my two sons that are still at home would have cost me about $600 a month. So they are currently uninsured. I work several little side hustles. I drive Uber and Lyft on Friday and Saturday nights. I sometimes drive it on Thursday nights. Um, Occasionally I drive on Monday and Wednesday for a couple hours after school when my son's at Spanish. I also have another job through Oklahoma City Public Schools where I tutor um, a couple of days after school. So I'm always just kind of looking for side hustles to supplement my income and kind of just keep my head above water financially. I absolutely love teaching and I love working with kids and it was my intention to continue working as a teacher, but I have made a very difficult decision, one I've wrestled with back and forth quite a bit over the last several months, but I have had to make the decision that this is actually going to be my last year to teach school. I just absolutely cannot afford to continue to teach. I can't justify it and I can't continue financially this way. Why do we pay teachers so poorly in America? That's just ahead on Today Explained. 
Okay, that was Today Explained. Um, nice feature there about the Oklahoma teachers and what they want. <clears throat> I think two things are important to note here. Number one is this is the very heart of Trump country. These are red states. These states went heavily for Donald Trump. So what's happening is in the very heart of those states, there's this movement, this revolution of teachers and other public employees. Second is that in West Virginia, the teachers and the public employees were together. When one got a raise, the other got a raise. It sounds like that's what's happening with the public employees and teachers in Oklahoma. That unity is crucial. We have to be in this for everybody. So, get on with your bad self, teachers in Oklahoma. Now you'll notice the teachers in Oklahoma are asking for more spending on schools besides their wages. For years, as we pointed out, schools have been scapegoats. <clears throat> we always hear stories, scandalous stories about teachers who <clears throat> abuse their roles. But every day there are millions and millions and millions of teachers all over the world who are working for only the very best reasons to educate children. And they're doing it unselfishly. They're doing it because they love it. And like that one lady was saying, she could no longer stand it. Economically. Well, here's a story on the socialistworker.org. A Portland school fights for its activist teacher. Teacher Chris Reiser wasn't surprised that over 100 students at Ockley Green Middle School walked out in protest February 9th on the one-year anniversary of the police murder of Quanice Hayes, a 17-year-old unarmed black youth. This young man, if you'll remember, was crawling on his hands and knees towards police. Police say that he reached into his waistband. Police opened fire and hit him three times. Family members called for protests on the one-year anniversary, along with Don't Shoot Portland, the local Black Lives Matter group, they announced a wrongful death lawsuit against the city of Portland that same day. So this teacher, Chris Reiser, and other teachers took their kids on trips to join the demonstration. 
He was suspended. None of the other teachers were suspended. Students of color make up 60% of the student body at Ockley Green. A recent unauthorized student walkout against gun violence at the predominantly white Mount Tabor Middle School, while accompanied by teachers, didn't result in any discipline. One of Reiser's colleagues says, Chris Reiser is a strong voice for social justice, diversity, and equality. Chris Reiser is teaching the kids that their greatest weapon is their voice. By placing him on administrative leave, it is teaching our children that speaking up for what they believe is a wrong thing to do. On the first day after Reiser's suspension and before school rally led to another walkout of hundreds of Ockley Green students, this time to defend their teacher. Parents then announced they would stage a rally at the school administration building the following afternoon. The next morning he was reinstated. Always the educator, Reiser help, hopes his suspension and reinstatement will teach students about the hypocrisy of school administrators and about how to fight back without apology in the face of repression. Well, okay. <clears throat> Okay, here's uh, oh, here's some vintage. I would say I'm a, glue, a blues guy. Here's some vintage blues by the guy who invented, you could trace back the development of rock and roll and many different genres to this man, Robert Johnson. Now you 
you know the cars ain't even bourbon. Little generator won't get that far. Or in a bad condition, you gotta have these badges job, but I'm crying, please. Don't do me wrong. I've been driving my Terry plant now for Robert Johnson, the inventor, let's say it, the inventor of uh, modern blues music and uh, blues-derived music. Uh, That was a recording made in San Antonio, Texas in 1936. And, uh, of course, the the, uh, legend of Robert Johnson is that he played, he learned to play differently from everyone else, a style all his own, by making a deal with the devil. The devil taught Robert Johnson how to play the guitar so beautifully, so well, so uniquely that uh, so he sold his soul to the devil and then he was murdered, the story goes, by uh, an irate hus- <coughs> husband. Janice Face is clean and shining black as night My mother went to answer You know that you looked so fine Now I could understand your tears and your shame She called you boy instead of your name When she wouldn't let you inside When she turned and said but honey Everybody's acting different 
deaf and blind Until they turn and say Why don't you stick to your own kind My teachers all laugh Their smirking stares Cutting deep down in our affairs Creatures of equality One of these days I'm gonna stop my listening Gonna raise my head up high One of these days I'm gonna raise up my glistening wings and fly But that day will have to wait for a while Baby, I'm only society's child When we're older, things may change but for now, this is the way they must remain I say I can't see you anymore, baby Can't see you anymore, no Don't wanna see you anymore, baby No taxation without representation. 200 years of exploitation in the capital of this nation. No representation in the capital of this nation. 200 years of exploitation. Give the people their right to vote Someone asked me, was it true? The voting rights of the district were long overdue They couldn't believe it when I said yes And then I said, you ain't heard nothing yet We are based in Washington, D.C. A truly diverse community Almost 600,000 strong have been exploited much too long Inadequate power over our own affairs And national issues for which we care No votes in Congress, the Senate, the House No state delegation, no representation We pledge allegiance, my country, tis a peace Fighting wars, pay taxes in this country Provide work and services for the government We get no vote, but our money is spent You may wonder how in the world can this be I thought we lived in a democracy Where the U.S. Constitution gives equal protection Check the 14th Amendment to make this connection No taxation without representation 200 years of exploitation in the capital of this nation oh well no representation in the capital of this nation 200 years of exploitation 
Capital of this nation. No representation. 
Sweet Honey and the Rock there chronicling uh, the campaign for D.C. citizens to have voting rights and also the whole quagmire of gerrymandering that our politicians undertake so blatantly to abridge, basically what they're doing is abridging our rights. If you're in a gerrymandered district, and who isn't, your vote has been quantified and moved. Okay, if you're in a predominantly Republican district and you vote Democratic, you don't have a chance to win because it's been gerrymandered. You're one of a deep minority. So now, of course... uh, Republicans are in power, so they gerrymander district to suit themselves. And that's why they have such an iron grip on the House of Representatives, by the way. One of the real uh, inspirations, one of the most important effects of the movement for justice for farm workers, the UFW, has been that its leaders and its trainees and its organizers have gone on to other union campaigns and played a large part. Uh, Here's Dolores Huerta talking about the labor movement. I had a very rich rich childhood. I was very, very blessed and fortunate because my mother was a a person that really believed in culture. Early on, I was a Girl Scout from the time I was eight to the time I was 18 years old, very active in Girl Scouts. As a teenager, I belonged to the church choir. I was uh, involved in dancing, uh, both folklorico, flamenco, uh, tap and ballet. I took music lessons, both violin and piano. The only negative thing about my my teenage years, and especially in high school, was the racism that we had to endure uh, because we were Mexican-Americans and because our our, our group that we all hung out with, there was all the, the Asians, the Filipinos, the black kids, and the police were always giving us a hard time. So we faced that on the streets with the police, and then in, in our high school, uh, the racism against the uh, not only the kids of color, but also the poor white kids was very severe. I was working here in Los Angeles uh, with the community service organization. Uh, Cesar was the director, and I was the executive secretary. And it was actually here in East Los Angeles when we decided to start the Farmworkers Union. 
It was at Caesar's house there, where he was living there on Folsom Street. And he called me over to his house one morning, and he said, you know, the farm workers will never have a union unless you and I do it. And uh, I thought he was joking. He said, no, I'm serious. Uh, I was lucky enough to be the political director for the organization, uh, and we had all of these chapters throughout the state. Uh, we got uh, driver's licenses in Spanish and other ethnic languages, and we got the ballots in the Spanish language and uh, disability insurance for farm workers. And then we passed uh, a law that you could register a voters door to door. And so we were able to pass a, a very important law uh, to take away the requirement that you had to be a U.S. citizen to get public assistance. One of the things that we are working on is number one, bringing to the attention of the American public what the contributions of immigrants are, because they don't realize how much people do. The work that they do, picking our food, we remind people the food that you ate today, some immigrant picked that food, probably an undocumented person. We have to legalize the people that are already here because they have earned it with their work and with their tax dollars that they have paid and their contributions that they have made to our economy. When the people leave, the leaders they will have to follow. Have to swallow. And it's you, you, you that has the authority. I grew up in New Mexico. Everybody got involved uh, in terms of politics. So we're supposed to be of service to others. I think part of that is the Catholicism, uh, but also you're not supposed to want to get any type of uh, recompense when you help people. You would do it because they need help. I had been teaching school and seeing a lot of the children that were in my classroom, they were the children of farm workers. And they would come to school with their raggedy shoes and their little bones sticking out of their t-shirts and, um, I thought that was so wrong. And I just remember uh, just being so upset about that. So when I was supposed to report for my orientation to continue teaching, I decided not to do it. And that was a big step for me because, you know, had had a family that I had to support. And here I am going to go start organizing farm workers for no money with all these children. And I remember just sitting there thinking about this, thinking about this, but in so many ways, you know, how you have your little committee in your head, this is such a foolish thing to do. How are you going to run off, like join the circus with your seven children and, and, and not know where your next meal is going to be coming from, where their next meal is going to be coming from? Uh, how can you possibly do this? And of course, but I just remember I've got to do this and I did it.
Dolores Huerta there. The, a lot of people say the real force behind the UFW, a woman who, at the risk of her life, walked the picket line, who negotiated the contracts, who sat down with the growers and worked out what the future would bring for farm workers. And as she says, as we always say, that food on your table was probably picked by a farm worker, perhaps undocumented, because that's how we do in California. That's how we do. We... uh, Let's see. Labor and Love Radio. I had an article about that, about how um, <clears throat> about how uh, California is cutting its what is it? cutting off its nose to spite its face. Uh, okay, we'll find that somewhere. A little more from Dolores Huerta now. On her 80th birthday. That's Carlos Santana performing Tito Puente. Yes, Carlos Santana will be performing this week at the celebration of Dolores Huerta's 80th birthday. The legendary activist Dolores Huerta, who co-founded the United Farm Workers of America with Cesar Chavez, celebrating 80 years, a veteran of the labor, civil rights, immigrant rights, and feminist movements in the country. Dolores Huerta was instrumental in passing the seasonal agricultural workers bill, which resulted in the legalization of 1.3 million farm workers as part of the Immigration Reform Act of 1986. Well, to celebrate her 80th birthday, this lifelong activist is holding a benefit concert at the Greek Theater in Los Angeles Friday night titled Weaving Movements Together. As the name suggests, the event aims to bring together immigrant rights, LGBT, feminist, environmental and labor activists. Dolores Huerta is joining us now from Los Angeles. We welcome you and happy birthday, Dolores Huerta. Thank you, Amy. Can you talk about what you consider your greatest achievement? Uh, Well, uh, I think you mentioned the uh, legalization bill of 1986, which really uh, helped a lot of people get the legal status, as as you know, every immigrant that's come to this country has acquired legal status at one time or the other. Uh, then, of course, I think uh, many, many uh, pieces of legislation, uh, getting the ballots in the Spanish language for people to vote, uh, taking away citizenship requirements so that people could get public assistance, uh, and on and on, you know, uh, forming the Farm Workers Union with Cesar Chavez, and now uh, forming my own organization, the Dolores Huerta Foundation for Community Organizing. And uh, when we look back and see how many people have been organized, how many, uh, you know, we've built a volunteer base and uh, laws that have been passed, and, you know, this is the kind of work that I want to continue to do uh, for the rest of whatever life I have left and this is why I started this foundation and I want to mention this whole idea of, of bringing movements together is important because it seems like each one of our movements has a different path you know we have our greens over here labor over here the feminists the LGBT movement and I believe that in order to really get the progressive agenda that we are all looking for and searching for that we've got to come together and, and, and you know kind of unite our forces uh, we are, uh, you know, we are the majority 
in this country. Uh, but if we don't come together, uh, well, then we're not going to be able to win our progressive agenda. Dolores Huerta, go back in time, go back to the early 1960s, and talk about how you got involved with the farm workers movement and helped found the United Farm Workers. What were the conditions then? Where did you come from? Well, actually, I had a very um, comfortable life. I have sort of a middle-class background, but after joining uh, an organization called the Community Service Organization, and this is where I met Cesar, uh, then uh, we saw the conditions of the farm workers uh, that were so desperate at that point in time that then uh, that's when we started the United Farm Workers uh, of America. And, um, you know, we worked together for many years until Cesar passed away. Uh, I left the union about six years ago. And things for the farm workers, you know, are somewhat better in California, although many, most of the farm workers right now are not covered by union contracts. And in uh, other states, of course, things are even worse because many farm workers, they don't have unemployment insurance. Um, they have a very poor workers' compensation if they have any at all. And uh, uh, they don't have disability insurance. Uh, we were able to get the laws passed that gave all farm workers uh, uh, cold drinking water and, and uh, toilets in the fields, uh, rest periods, uh, things of that nature. But there's still a long way to go for the farm workers. But with my organization, actually, we go into the communities and we organize our immigrant population primarily, but this, of course, could apply to anyone. And we uh, basically raise money to hire and train organizers. Uh, then when the people come together, then uh, they can make a lot of changes. And, and some of the changes are absolutely miraculous. We, uh, Some of our people have been able to get swimming pools in, uh, in, in their com uh, communities. We have one committee that actually had a gymnasium built uh, at their middle school. Uh, you know, we've, we've got one another committee that's getting uh, a, a sewer drain for 27 homes that didn't have any kind of a sewer drain. And we have a youth group. We're doing uh, teen pregnancy prevention programs, financial literacy, the first micro lending program for farm workers in the Central Valley of California. And the great thing about this is that the, the people are doing this themselves. On the census, we knocked on 3,000 doors in one day. And then, of course, we had to do a lot of pressure on our Blue Dog uh, uh, Congress people to get them to vote for the health care bill. Uh, that we were trying to get past uh, recently. Dolores Huerta, so many of the people you work with are immigrants, and the battle over immigration reform, immigrants in this country, is raging. Um, just some figures uh, uh, on the number of deportations. According to figures from the Immigration Enforcement Agency, ICE, the Obama administration accelerated the pace of deportations overall. In 2009, authorities deported close to 390,000 people, uh, which was 20,000 more than in 2008, the final year of the Bush administration. Your comments? Well, uh, we know that uh, this is uh, the big issue in the Latino community, I guess the number one issue at this point in time, and that it really means that we've really got to push to get immigration reform. Uh, um, unfortunately, I mean, you, you, I heard your report about the elections, and we still have a very large anti-immigrant caucus uh, in, in the U.S. Congress. And, uh, you know, we've got to focus on, on these Congress people and on the elections and take some of these people out of office. In California, we have the head of the anti-immigrant caucus, a Congress run a Republican named Bill Bray. And uh, these, these are the people that we've got to get out, and we've got to get good people elected. And my fear is that so many people are so disillusioned uh, with, uh, with what's going on right now that they're not going to vote in November. And I think that's going to be just a huge... When the people leave, the leaders they will have to follow.
was Dolores Huerta, uh, three different manifestations, talking about the labor movement and her how she joined it, uh, talking with Amy Goodman about the immigrant situation on, her, on the occasion of her 80th birthday, Dolores Huerta. So <clears throat> we certainly pay tribute to her today in celebration of Cesar Chavez Day. Uh, March 31st, but not only to them. We always have to remember that some people are become famous, some people become well-known celebrities, but by themselves, they're nothing. By themselves, Cesar Chavez is a guy working in Oakland trying to get, trying to register uh, Chicanos and Dolores Huerta is a woman, uh, a teacher who, you know, may or may not have continued her work in the social justice field, but it's the followers, the people they attract, the people who go out and do the actual work, who face down the, the goons and, uh, do what needs to be done. Uh, kind of um, going to the top. We know about Cesar Chavez and we know about Dolores Huerta and we know about Martin Luther King. But we don't f hear about those who support them. Um, looking for a Marge Percy, some poetry by Marge Percy. Okay, well, we'll have to do that in a minute. Here's your weekly dose of radio labor. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, April 6, 2018. I'm Mark Belanger. In the report this week, how global unions negotiate with giant multinationals. The union fight against for-profit colonialist schools in Africa. The Labor Start report about union events around the world and singing, Which Side Are You On? This is Radio Labor. Collaboration. Understanding. Stability. Mutual understanding and bonding. Yonjimu Shibu. Co-create. Teamwork. One of the most effective tools unions are using to protect workers in multinational corporations are global framework agreements. GFAs, as the agreements are known, are negotiated at the world level between corporations and the global unions with input from local unions. They do not replace local union collective bargaining. Instead, 
The agreements bind the corporations to international labor standards, such as those set by the UN's International Labor Organization, the ILO. Respect for the right to organize and collective bargaining is at the center of all global framework agreements. Most GFAs establish a national monitoring committee to suggest how the agreement can best be implemented in a country. Training for the workers who sit on the committee, the NMC, is a crucial activity of the Global Union. Recently, the Global Union Industrial held a workshop to train workers who are on the National Monitoring Committee for H&M, the Swedish multinational clothing retail company. The participants in the workshop prepared a report on their activities in countries such as Bangladesh, Cambodia, Indonesia, Myanmar, and Turkey. Here are some of the participant reports, starting with the National Monitoring Committee from Bangladesh. Hello, our NMC work uh, was mainly focused in solving the dispute cases that come from 13 factories, including the significant case that arise from Ashulia unrest. Uh, in that case, uh, we uh, had employment settlement for 984 workers, as well as we got the uh, criminal charges dropped against those workers. Now we are in continuous engagement with the H&M suppliers. The committee from Turkey reported on its activities with H&M, but also other companies such as Inditex, a Spanish clothing multinational. I would like to mention about three important activities that we conducted in 2017. One, supplier, union affiliates and union members were trained on global framework agreement. Two, collaboration with Inditex and Industrial on Workplace Dialogue Project. We accompanied worker representatives election at 18 units. Worker representatives, middle management and top management were trained on uh, worker basic rights and communication. Three, ILO social dialogue seminar with the participants of Inditex Chibo and H&M suppliers and industrial. We emphasize the social dialogue, importance of social dialogue and freedom of association. Mats Svensson is the international secretary of EF Metall in Sweden, where H&M is headquartered. So we are very proud that after years of discussions, having agreed on a global framework agreement between H&M, Industrial Global and EF Metall. The global framework agreement has created a platform for constructive and productive cooperation when it comes to improvement of working conditions in the H&M supply chain through well-functioning industrial relations. In a breathtaking example of colonial attitude, billionaires such as Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg are funding for-profit schools in Africa. Seamary Ainsborough reports. The private school corporation Bridge International Academies has been dealt another blow as it attempts to privatize education in Africa. A court in Kenya has ruled that the company must close 10 schools in the country. Bridge International is funded by billionaires such as Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg and Microsoft's Bill Gates. Reasons cited for closing the schools in Kenya include not complying with the country's minimum education standards, failure to train teachers and managers, and inappropriate facilities. Wilson Soshin is the General Secretary of Kenya National Union of Teachers, the KNUT. 
Bridge International did not have a substantive case to block us. And uh, in the ruling, it's very clear that we have got the legitimate right to speak as a union that represents majority of the teachers in Kenya. The court ruling to close Bridge International schools in Kenya comes after a similar ruling in Uganda. The Ugandan government has also told Bridge to close its schools because it is using its own curriculum instead of the one established by the government's education ministry. In both Uganda and Kenya, the move to close the profit-making schools was led by the teachers' unions with the help of Education International Global Union. Juliet Wajega is the Deputy General Secretary of the Uganda National Teachers' Union. We appreciate the support of Education International in the fight for all our children to have a free quality education, an education where we have qualified teachers, where the classrooms are of quality, and we hope that the government of Uganda will keep to its promise of having the schools that meet the basic minimum requirements and standards operating. And we hope the big schools are able to meet these standards before they can lead to operate in our country. Education International is the global union for teachers and other education workers around the world. EI represents more than 32 million workers in 172 countries. Angelo Gavrilatos is the project director at Education International. In 2015, at our World Congress, it was determined that Education International establish a global response to the growing commercialization and privatization in and of education. It was recognized by member organizations around the world that the threat of the growing commercialization and privatization of education was such that it put at risk certain fundamental beliefs that we hold as teachers. Privatization is the greatest threat to the achievement of inclusive and equitable quality education and lifelong learning for all. Our analysis led us to the conclusion that we're dealing with actors, the size and reach of which we had not predicted, that were exerting incredible influence over education policy. And by actors, I'm talking about global corporations, edu-businesses, seeking to commercialise, to monetize every aspect of education, seeking to commodify education and therefore undermining the essence of education as a public good. This is a global phenomenon. We see a phenomenon of privatisation that is quite grotesque. We see privatisation taking the form of corporate actors wanting to establish chains of for-profit private schools, not to supplement education provision, but to supplant public education provision. Here with his report about union events around the world is Labor Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. Here's a small sample of the average of 280 news stories added to our site each day last week. Our top stories section included links to coverage of the events marking the 50th anniversary of the death of Martin Luther King while organizing support for striking African-American workers, the preeminent role of women in the push for labor rights in Bangladesh, and the huge rail and public sector strike in France. We had news of strikes and lockouts in dozens of countries. Here are just a few highlights. 
non-tenured university faculty were walking picket lines over their lack of job security in the United States. Portuguese flight attendants were continuing their series of flash strikes while their employer, Ryanair, was forcing cabin crew based in other countries to do struck work. European unions were fighting back. Wharfies in Australia downed tools for four days in a current dispute. The strike took place on the 20th anniversary of a titanic struggle on the country's docks. The strike by Kenyan University lecturers passed the four-week mark as the workers continued to demand that an agreed-to collective agreement be implemented. Pickets were tear-gassed by police this week as state repression of the strike escalated. And in Cyprus, public transport workers parked their buses to protest unpaid wages. Our top working women stories included coverage of a win for the cabin crew union at Cathay Pacific Airlines, which means that women cabin crew can now wear trousers if they wish, an agreement between the government of Kuwait and the union representing domestic workers to cooperate in the recruitment of migrant workers, and more evidence, if any was needed, of the gender pay gap in Britain. The health and safety newswire we run in cooperation with Hazards Magazine carried stories to hundreds of union websites around the world about the workplace conditions that have killed 114 garment workers in just one Indian city in the past year, and the deaths of mine workers in South Africa and Pakistan. Currently, Labor Start is running four online actions. Take just a few seconds out of your day and join thousands of trade unionists around the world in helping workers make their lives better, or even help save those lives. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. Now, here singing Which Side Are You On is Natalie Merchant.
that's it. International labor news you can use. I'm Mark Belanger. Thank you. That was uh, <clears throat> Radio Labor. Again, all over the world, one of the flashpoints in the struggle between uh, corporations and people is education, okay? What children learn in school, what, what's presented to them in school is crucial to how they'll grow up to be and what they will accept. So something open, something that that uh, encourages them to think for themselves, to choose for themselves, to tell when uh, the bullshit is coming. It's a great song. The movement for the Cuban Revolution and Revolution in the Americas. Cuerpo y 
Guajira, Guantanamera. Guantanamera. Guajira, Guantanamera. Los Lobos there with their version of Guantanamera, song of the Cuban Revolution and of the Revolution in the Americas against capital and for people, working people. That's going to do it for today for this version of Labor and Love Radio. And this is the B signing off. Remember, if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. Remember, if you're not on, if you don't have a seat at the table, you're on the menu. And remember, Never let anyone into your heart who's not a friend of labor. This is Labor and Love Radio signing off. Where the labor meets the road. swimming through a sea of podcasts. Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutterpunk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Hey everybody, listen to the Weekly Review with Roman every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. This is an unapologetically anti-capitalist program. We interview community organizers, activists, and artists. We talk about ways you can take action right now. So listen in to the Weekly Review every Friday from noon to 2 p.m.
Subliminal SF brings you visual and auditory mind control. For the best graphic design, physical merchandise, and live music promotion, go to www.subliminalsf.com and check out their hilarious t-shirts and super cool bands at clubs and bars all over the Bay Area. Subliminal SF creates amazing flyers, posters, and design for every need. So go now to www.subliminalsf.com and experience what this wonderful local business has to offer. Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's Underground Comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere five dollars every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because five dollars, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere five dollars is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere. Like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So then all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse. Or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. (laughs) Well, hello, boys and girls. You know what a password is. That's a secret word that soldiers would use to get past the sentry and up to the front. Well, here's a password that gets you up to the front in all the right places. It's cannabis energy. It seems the faster you go, the more cannabis energy you need. So if you want to win, you have to have lots of cannabis energy. And the swellest way I know to get it is just by using Green Army Skincare. Boy, they're just crammed full of cannabis energy. There are more cannabis energy units in one lip balm tube than you use circling the base ten times or when you ride your bike four miles across the city. And it's fast acting. Why, no sooner that you apply some balm to your mouth or pain areas, you practically feel the new strength in your muscles. And what's more, Green Army Skincare is a good, wholesome product. They're made with body-nourishing cannabis and other natural ingredients. So go out there today and pick up some Green Army Skincare products from your local cannabis procurement center. Join thegreenarmy.com. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to invite you down to Bender's Bar and Grill in the heart of the Mission District in San Francisco at 806 South Van Ness. Uh, we've got great food by our kitchen counter offer, burgers, tater tots, tachos, corn dogs, all sorts of good stuff like that. They're open from opening until 11 p.m. most days of the week, except Saturday. 
uh, every Saturday night we've got live rock and roll some of the best local bands in San Francisco and touring acts as well come on down 10pm rock and roll only night of the week we have a $5 cover charge always 5 bucks for live rock and roll we're open from 4pm until 2am Monday through Thursday Friday, Saturday, Sunday 2 to 2 come on down have some drinks with us we've got Whiskey Wednesday Tequila Tuesday and we've always got the Steve McQueen special shot of bullet bourbon and a can of California lager for 8 bucks Come down and enjoy our patio. It's open uh, in the afternoon, not really in the evening, but a lot of good folks hanging out back there. Come on down, give us a shout. Drop by the bar, make some friends. Thanks, folks. Bender's Bar and Grill in the heart of the Mission District, San Francisco, California. With a happy hour every Monday through Friday until 7 p.m. Don't miss it. Go to Bender's Bar. Big supporter of the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival 2018. Yeah, it goes down. Come smoke with your boy. Grinder. Spark is San Francisco's premier cannabis dispensary with a focus on serving and educating patients for seven years. Spark is dedicated to creating the best in-store experience with its extensive menu, friendly staff, and one of the few cannabis vape lounges in San Francisco. Spark welcomes you to visit its two great locations as a medical patient or for recreational adult use in 2018. Spark is located at 1256 Mission Street between 8th and 9th and at 473 Haight Street at Fillmore. Both locations are open until 10 p.m. every night. Spark staff looks forward to serving you. Rainbow Grocery, a worker-owned and operated food cooperative located at 1745 Folsom Street in the Mission District of San Francisco. Let's hear what locals have to say about Rainbow Grocery. Their bulk section is dope AF. I love their their variety of cheese and home decor items uh, and this of unique items that you can't find anywhere else. Their cheese section is insane. I love Rainbow Grocery because it's the number one grocery store to shop at when you're having a potluck and need to fulfill everyone's dietary needs. 